Well, good morning, Evie Free. Uh, real quick, uh, that was just such an awesome time of worship. Can we give the band a round of applause for leading us? Guys, you always do such a good job. Uh, well, my name is Austin Helm, and um, this will be my last Sunday morning introducing myself uh, as a teaching and venue pastor here at EV Free. Uh, if you've been a part of the EV Free family and you're somewhat connected to the World Wide Web and to some other folks, um, you've heard news that I am currently transitioning on to my next step. Uh, if you're a part of this family and you haven't heard that news, this is the news. I am currently transitioning onto uh, my next step after EV Free. And if this is your uh, first time ever to EV Free, uh, this will probably be the first and last time you see me at EV Free. Uh, and all for wonderful, amazing things. If this is your first time to EV Free, you have stumbled into a church that is an amazing church family in which God is doing incredible things simply because we are a community that is passionate about following Jesus as disciples, connecting as family, and ultimately going out into the world. You know, my journey of following Jesus and connecting to family and going as a missionary brought me from Texas here to California. It was just a couple of years ago, I was a college and young adult pastor in Texas and got in touch with the team here, and they said, Austin, we want to spend a couple of years investing into you. We see something in you and, and we want to help develop that. So we would love for you to come from Texas to EV Free for a couple of years to develop your teaching voice, to develop your leadership. And so I said yes. And in saying yes, I, I recognized the huge risk that EV Free was taking to invest into the next generation. But it wasn't just me. EV Free brought on several folks that they were committed to raising up for their next step in ministry. And, you know, a, a lot of churches and organizations can give lip service to investing into the next generation uh, and to raising up the next generation of leaders. But EV Free has not only said it, they have done it. Uh, they have given several leaders here on staff um, not only significant opportunities, but consistent significant opportunities. And, and for that, I'm deeply, deeply grateful. Somebody that has been growing. And so I'm thankful for the staff and for the elder board that have taken the courageous risk in not only saying that we want to invest, but in actually doing it. So can we give our staff and elder board a round of applause um, for being so faithful and so committed to that? Um, in addition, I want to say a massive thank you to this church family uh, for your commitment, for, for walking alongside of these young leaders that are developing. And the key word is developing. Uh, you've been so patient with us as we have been, been growing and finding out our sweet spot. And so from me to you, it, is, it has been wonderful to open the text with you to worship with you, to pray with you, and, and to journey with you as you've been so patient with me as I've grown. And it has just been such an honor to be here, to follow Jesus here, to connect with this family, and to be on mission in this city, and ultimately to countries all over the world. And so with that, I say thank you. Uh, and so as this is my last time talking at EV Free, uh, I thought we would go to one of my favorite passages, uh, Matthew chapter 28. If you have a physical copy of a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 28. If you have an electronic Bible via iPad or iPhone, you can turn to Matthew 28, or click to Matthew 28, I should say. Uh, if you don't have either of those, don't worry. Uh, we have the scriptures uh, on the screens. This is Matthew 28, and Jesus 
has just ascended, or he's just been raised from the dead, and he's about to ascend, but he's gathered with his 11 closest disciples one last time on a mountain. And he says this to them, beginning in verse 18. It says, Then Jesus came to the disciples, and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go. Go and make disciples of all of the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always, even until the end of the age. See, at EB Free, when we open the text, we know that it is God-breathed, that it is God-inspired. One New Testament writer will actually say that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide soul from spirit and bone from marrow. And so we know that when we open this text, because it's God-inspired and God-breathed and the Holy Spirit is here, we have the opportunity, the amazing opportunity to walk out of these doors different than the way that we came in. Better and looking more like Jesus in the way that we came in. So before we go any further, can we just spend a few moments in prayer? Father, we pause for a moment as we open your word uh, and we say thank you. Thank you, you've, you've gathered these folks in from all over Orange County to worship together, to pray together, to hear from your word together. And now, Father, we ask you that as we continue to study that you would change us that you would shape us, that you would help us to walk out of here in such a way that we look more like your son. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it's summertime, uh, which means not only is it wildly hot right now, it's vacation season. Uh, I had the, the awesome opportunity to go on vacation with my family earlier this month, which is quite the, it's quite the accomplishment. I mean, my, my family is spread all across the country. We all have uh, different schedules and different rhythms. And so to get us all together for any period of time, it, it, it's quite the accomplishment. But I have to admit, I'm not, I'm not great at vacationing. I, I think I'm not great at, and some of you are thinking, you're weird, <laughs> like vacationing is the best. I, I, I'm not great at vacationing, I think, for probably three different reasons. Uh, one, our family didn't really grow up vacationing a lot. Uh, to, to take a, you know, a full family on vacation, it can be interesting when finances are tight. But you know, every couple of years, my family would we, we'd all get in our 1985 brown Chrysler minivan with the fuzzy seats, and, and we'd drive to one of the cities around Oklahoma. Maybe it was Texas or Kansas or Missouri, uh, but we didn't really grow up vacationing. Instead, the extra uh, money my folks had, they would send the kids off to summer camp or to a church retreat, or to a ski trip. My, my folks were so generous with us kids, but we never really got in a rhythm of vacationing as family, so I never really learned the art of vacationing. Uh, uh, secondly is, like father, like son, uh, one of the great things I learned from my dad growing up is work ethic. My dad has a phenomenal work ethic, and I'd like to think I picked up some of that from him. So I, I tend to be a workaholic at times. It's tough for me to, to disengage, to go off the grid. I love being connected. In fact, if I spend more than three days just simply relaxing in leisurely world, I, I get a little antsy. I, I, I get a little stir crazy. So I feel like I got I to get back to work. I got to get back on my email, back on my phone. And thirdly, I feel like, man, we live in the place that everybody vacations to. 
It's hard to get excited about getting up early in the morning, packing your bags, going to the airport, going through TSA, and going through all the announcements on the airplane when we could just stay here. Like, California is great. And so vacationing is tough for me. Uh, it's a discipline I'm, I'm still kind of learning. But on the occasion when I was a kid that uh, the Helm family would get in our 1985 brown Chrysler minivan with the fuzzy seats and drive to a nearby city, I was a really bad vacationer. And I think it's because I, I just kind of learned to put together sentences, but I was better at questions than I was at statements. Uh, and so with my folks in the front seat and with us in the back seat, I uttered the four most famous words on any family road trip. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? As a child, I had no real sense of time or how much time had passed. We'd be on a five-hour drive from Tulsa to Dallas, and we'd be on the freeway for 10 minutes. And I think, hey, are we there yet? You know, I, got, I, I was ready. And, you know, as I grew up, uh, the questions evolved. I don't know that they were any more productive, uh, but I became the why child. So why? So I'd be going to school. I'd get home from school. I'd ask my parents, why do I have to go to school? Well, you need a good job. Well, why do I need a good job? Well, you're going to need to buy a house one day. Um, well, why do I need to buy a house one day? Well, we need to kick you out of our house, right? So, like, I was, I was the why kid, always asking why. And I would hope that as I've gotten older, being a question asker, or at least a good question asker, um, is a skill that I've developed. Uh, something that I've actually worked hard at in this season of my life. I'm about 30 years old. Uh, anytime I get the chance to talk to somebody that's just a few steps down the road from me, uh, I, I enjoy asking them this question. If you could talk to your 30-year-old self, what would you tell your 30-year-old self? What would you say? In other words, what's, like, what's the big takeaway What's the most important thing? And I've heard, I've heard all kinds of things. I've heard some folks say, um, you should really take care of your body and eat well. I've heard other folks say, you should eat what you can while you can. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've heard folks say, you know, money, it's not that important at the end of the day. And I've heard some folks say, your credit score is the only thing that matters. Like, I, you can get all kinds of advice from people when you ask them, like, what's the most important thing? And so I stand here this morning with this church family that I've grown to love, asking myself the question, what do you say? What do you say when you know that this is your last time talking to this faith community? And so I, I decided to imagine that you guys asked me that question. Austin, what's the most important thing? If we need to remember something, if we need to walk out of these doors with one thing, what is that thing? And so just for the next 10 minutes, I want to journey with you and what I feel like, Evie Free, if we can continue to do these things, God is going to continue, continue to bless this community. And so when I began to think about um, what is the thing that we need to know, um, began to continue to be drawn to the disciple Peter. Uh, when you read the text, when you read the gospel accounts, Peter is one of the prominent disciples, and really not for good reasons. Uh, he's uh, kind of rough around the edges. He has a bad temper. He can't really follow instructions. And yet he has a prominent place in the gospels. In fact, early on in the gospel of Matthew, we're, we're introduced to Peter. Uh, we're introduced to Peter in the gospel of Matthew, and we find out that he's a fisherman. Now, to know that he's a fisherman uh, means one primary thing, that he's kind of been booted out of school 
at an early age. In other words, he wasn't the cream of the crop. He didn't really excel in the classroom. You see, in the first century, you really had three phases of school. Uh, the first phase, um, all students, all children went to it. Um, you were challenged to memorize Torah. Torah being the first five books of the Bible. Uh, when that season was done, the teachers and the educators and the leaders, they'd say, hey, we really see a lot of potential in this pool right here. But for this pool over here, it's time for you to just go learn your father's trade. But the next step for this elite pool was to go and to memorize the entire Old Testament. And as they would memorize the entire Old Testament, when they came to the, the conclusion of that season, the, the educators and the leaders would say, you know, we think this is kind of the best of the best. And the rest of you, you can go on as well and learn your father's trade. And then you went into the third step of education. The third step was learning not just to memorize, but to interpret, to ask questions. And so you would sit with your leaders and your educators, and they would ask you questions about how to interpret the text. And you would ask them questions about how to interpret the text. And when that season came to a conclusion, the leaders and the educators, they would take the best of the best and they say, we want to put you guys in front of the most famous, respectable rabbis. The rest of you, it's time to go learn your father's trade. And then prominent rabbis of the area would come and they'd see this small, elite, select, honors program version of first century students, and they'd begin to ask them questions about the text. They would allow the students to ask them questions about the text. And when the rabbi decided that these students were ready to be a disciple, they would utter these words, come and follow me. When a rabbi would utter these words to follow him to a student, and it wasn't just to learn what the rabbi knew, it was learn to do what the rabbi could do. But when we're introduced to Peter in the beginning of Matthew, he's, he's been booted out of school. He got cut at some point and he simply learned his father's trade. He's a fisherman. And when we're introduced to him, the text says that he and his brother and some other folks that are partners in business, they're, they're actually um, out of the boat mending their nets. You see, they, they were deep sea Fishermen. And as a deep sea fisherman, what you would do is you would go out in the dark of night and you would lower your nets into the water, hoping to catch enough fish to bring in to buy and to sell and to trade and to give to your family. But when we find Peter and his gang here, uh, the sun is about to break in the horizon. It's, it's the coolest part of the evening just before the sun rises. And this, this crew is there. They're mending their nets because there's holes in the nets. And it says they're cleaning them because there's probably seaweed and reeds in it. In fact, we find out from the text that this group hasn't caught anything. They didn't catch a single fish, and to go out for an entire night fishing and to come back completely empty-handed, you're probably not in the best of moods. In fact, we learned from Peter that he's, um, he's not exactly a savory character. So you can imagine him and his gang, their, their language and their conversation probably isn't filled with salt and light, as we would say. But they're sitting here mending and they're, they're cleaning their nets, and as they are, they, they see a figure appear by the Sea of Galilee, and he begins, begins to teach. 
And that's not uncommon for Peter and his gang. You see, in the first century, right as the sun is coming up and breaking into the horizon, it's the busiest time of day. It's the time when families are waking up and kids are going to school and, and folks are going to work. You did it because it's, it's Israel and it's hot. It's the desert. And so by noon, by midday, it's so hot. You want to have all of your business taken care of. So oftentimes, if a teacher is looking to teach or to gain a reputation, he comes out in the morning and, and he begins to teach. And based on his teaching will depend on if people want to gather around and listen. But here you have Peter and his fellow fishermen. They're, they're mending, they're cleaning these nets. And this teacher begins to teach. And they think, oh, here's, here's another teacher. And no doubt this teacher is teaching about the kingdom of God. Not necessarily just insights of wisdom and tools for living, but the restoration of Israel. The way that God is going to come back to Zion and, and reestablish his kingdom. And certainly teachers of the day would have a different take on how this would happen. But as Peter and his group are sitting here mending and cleaning their nets after not having caught anything all night, there's something about the words of Jesus that are deeply attractive. In fact, he's teaching from the text. He's talking about the kingdom of God in such a way they've, they've never heard it talked about like this before. And the text says that the crowd around Jesus begins to grow. It's not just Peter and his friends that think, what's, what's going on here? The people of the village say, this man is talking as one who has authority. And so the whole crowd begins to gather around Jesus. In fact, the crowd gets so big that Jesus is standing at the edge of the lake and realizes that he needs to get in a boat and move back. He needs to get in a boat and move back because he needs more visibility so the folks can see him. And also the water would act as a, as a natural amplifier. They didn't have a sound system or microphones um, like we do today. And so Jesus probably looks at Peter and says, Peter, I, gotta, I want to keep teaching. There's more I want to tell you guys about the kingdom of God. Can, can we use your boat? Peter's probably astonished. He's just an ordinary guy. He's an ordinary guy. He's an ordinary fisherman working an ordinary job at a subordinary pay. And yet this man that is attracting the large crowd looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you want to, can I use your boat? Do you want to come with me? Peter's shocked and probably a little delighted. He's going to get a front row seat at the teaching of Jesus. And so the text says that Peter gets in the boat and he, he pushes out with Jesus. And the text says that Peter, sitting in the boat, listening to the words of Jesus. There's something about the way that Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God that has this crowd absolutely captivated. And then... Um, Jesus wraps up his, his teaching, and, you know, Peter probably wants to fist bump him. Hey, good job, dude. That was great. But Peter, then Jesus looks at Peter and says, actually, Peter, I want you to row out into deep water and cast your nets again. You know, uh, Peter's a little rough around the edges. He doesn't have a great language. Um, he's a little unsavory. You can imagine on an ordinary day, Peter's going to say, hey, great talk, but why don't you stick to the teaching and I'll stick to the fishing? He knows this man isn't from around here and he's not a fisherman. Peter knows all the fishermen. And uh, so Peter wants to bring Jesus up to speed. 
And he says, Master. I mean, what an interesting claim, Master. I mean, Peter is just seeing Jesus for the very first time. He says, Master, we've been out all night. We didn't catch anything, not a single thing, but because of what you've said here, because there's something special and interesting about you, because you carry a certain weight of authority, we'll push out. And um, his partners that are in the other boat say, hey, Peter, do you, wanna, do you want us to come with you? He says, no, this is going to be a short trip. <laughs> so he pushes out and he begins to row into the deep. And the text says that they cast their nets into the water. And as soon as they do, the catch of fish is so large that it begins to break the nets. I mean, this is a phenomenal thing because you didn't go fishing in midday. You didn't go fishing because the fish weren't really out. And even if they were, they would see the nets and they would scatter. So these, Peter and his gang, they're stumbling upon this miracle. The text says that their boat begins to sink into the water. So Peter calls his other company, the other boat, actually, we could use your help. So the second boat comes out and they begin to take the fish into both boats. The fish are so much that both the boats begin to sink and yet they make it back to shore. You can imagine the awe of Peter and his company. What's happened among them? Somehow the abundance and the grace and the power and the provision of Jesus has met this very ordinary man in this very ordinary city, at this very ordinary job. Something about the presence of God has permeated the ordinary and the mundane. And yet it's not all excitement for Peter. In fact, the text says that when they get to shore, Peter falls on his knees before Jesus. says, Jesus, you must not, you must not know who I am. I'm a sinner you should leave me alone and you should go somewhere else and be with other people. You see, when, um, when they talk about being a sinner, it's more than simply the moral fabric. It's more than just the right and the wrong, the ups and the downs. When, when Peter says he's a sinner, what he's saying is, uh, the way that I act isn't going to be good for your image. Certainly rabbis had an agenda on how the kingdom of God was going to be established. And Peter's saying, I'm I'm not good for your agenda. I'm not good for your image. I'm not good for your brand. You should really leave me alone. Certainly there are Pharisees in Jerusalem that, that would be great. They'd up your image and they would help you look really good. But Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've got a foul mouth. I've got a temper. I don't follow instructions very well. See, for Peter, he he recognizes simply before Jesus that even though the grace and the presence of Jesus has invaded his very ordinary life, there is a giant discrepancy between the character of Peter and the character of Jesus. The Jesus isn't shocked by this. He isn't appalled by this. Instead, this is precisely the kind of person that Jesus is looking for. So in the midst of Peter's great confession, Lord, leave me alone. I'm a sinner and I'm not good for your brand. Jesus says, come and follow me. 
words reserved for the elite, the honors program, the cream of the crop, the best educated. Here is Jesus, this man not only teaching with authority, but now performing miracles, says these words that Peter as a child would have longed to have heard, come and follow me. I want you to know not just what I know, I want you to be able to do what I do. Jesus' call to Peter to be a disciple is crystal clear. The text says that Peter and his company, they leave their nets and they leave their boats to follow Jesus in discipleship. Evie Free, I would encourage us as we move into the future that the call of Jesus is still the same. Whether you've been here for 60 years or you've been here for six minutes, the call of Jesus is to come and follow me. I think for us, part of the challenge will continue for us to say yes with great clarity and with great allegiance. But a yes to Jesus in discipleship isn't just about doing it alone. In fact, you can imagine Peter. He's got his brother and a couple of his buddies. He says, Hey, we may not be awesome, but Jesus thinks we're awesome. We're going to help him put together a great team. Because Jesus tells him, hey, it's not just going to be this like solo thing. There's going to be a group of folks that follow us. So Peter probably says, hey, let me introduce you to some good people. I got some other great fishermen that you, if you like me, you're going to love them. Uh, And Jesus says, no, I I don't think those are the folks we're looking for. Well, I know, I know Bob and Stephen, and they did great in school. Let me take you to their house. They're working in the city now. They'd be a great addition for your brand. And Jesus says, no, I, I don't think that's who we're looking for. And so as, as they journeyed, Jesus and these folks, they stumbled upon a man named Matthew, who's a tax collector. And if you were a tax collector in the first century, you were despised and you were reviled. And Jesus maybe leans over to Peter and says, that's Matthew, right? He's a tax collector. He'd be great for the team. And um, Peter probably pulls Jesus aside and says, actually, Jesus, uh, what you should know about Matthew is he's the kind of guy that eats by himself at lunch. Like, he's not going to be good for your brand. He's not going to be good for your image. And Jesus says, no, that's precisely the kind of person I'm looking for. And as they continue to journey, they run into a man named Simon the Zealot. Now, in the first century, if you were a zealot, you had that reputation because you were violent. You had a background. You had a history. In fact, one of the things that you would do is you would carry around a knife and you would take out Roman soldiers when they weren't looking. And and Jesus sees Simon the zealot and says, I think that violent guy over there with the checkered background is the kind of guy we want on the team too. Peter probably pulls him aside and says, Jesus, you may not know a lot about Simon. Uh, He's a zealot and he might cut you. Uh, he's a violent, violent guy. He may not be the kind of person you want on your team. And Jesus says, no, he's, he's precisely the kind of person I want on the team. And they run across a man named Judas Iscariot. And Jesus says, Judas, that's the kind of guy I'd want on the team. And Peter says, no, he's a klepto. He's going he's gonna to take, when, when, he, when he gets that treasury box, he's going to put his fingers on some of that money. He's going to take it. He's not the kind of person you want on your team. And yet Jesus seeks out these folks. Those who are rough around the edges. 
the violent, the outcast, the thieves, those with the checkered background. And he calls them around himself. It'd be like calling together Republicans and Democrats, Libertarians and Socialists, and saying, hey, let's have dinner. It's not going to be a great dinner. It's going to erupt into arguments. I mean, you can imagine for the first couple of weeks the kind of campfires they would have at night as they talked about the best way they think the kingdom of God should come to pass. And yet Jesus assembles this eclectic, diverse group of people and says, I don't only want you to follow me. I want you to be family. This is the kind of thing that you're going to do together. And ultimately, as Jesus raises from the dead, he meets with this rough and tumble group of 11 disciples who have over the course of the last three years become deeply connected. They've become family because they've aligned their life with, with the agenda of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. And so now they consider themselves to be family. Church, if we're going to be vibrant moving forward, we want to continue to be family. Continue to connect as family. To take folks from all kinds of worldviews, paradigms, and backgrounds and say, we're learning together. We're growing together. We are family together because Jesus unites us. And so when Jesus has this united group of folks, in Matthew chapter 28, he says, now go. In the same way that I've called you, call others. In the same way that I've invited you to discipleship, invite others. In the same way that you've connected as family, extend the family, baptize folks from every nation in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to do just what I've taught you to do. It's an amazing moment in which these followers of Jesus that are now family, that they're commissioned to go as missionaries into the world. And then uh, one of the disciples in the book of Acts, just as this conversation is wrapping up, uh, he asks an interesting question. He asked the question that I did when I was a kid on vacation. Um, hey, Jesus, are we there yet? Are, are we done? The way the text says it is, are you now going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And the best news for the church is that the church is still in progress. We are still on the journey, still given the mandate to go. Are we there yet? No. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful that our lives have been infused with the call to be a disciple, challenged to connect as family and sent as missionaries into the world. This is an amazing, amazing thing. So Evie Free, I would, I would encourage you as we continue to move forward into the future, continue to be passionate about discipleship. Whether you've been here for 60 years or for six days, the call of Jesus to follow him is just as clear and just as fresh as it has ever been. And as folks all over Orange County answer this call to say yes to Jesus, it's going to bring a lot of interesting people into the family, you included. So I challenge you, continue in your community groups, in your life groups to connect as family. And always keep your eyes outwards. 
for all the folks all over Orange County that are looking to be connected, that are looking to say yes to Jesus, EV free, let's continue to go as missionaries. And so as we close, um, EV free, I want to say thank you. Thank you for allowing me to follow Jesus with this family. Thank you for allowing me to connect with you in your living rooms and at your kitchen tables and in your homes and most of all in Starbucks. And thank you that you've been a family so committed to mission. Mission not only here in Fullerton and in Placentia and La Habra and in Brea, but all over the world as we send the mission teams into every corner of the earth. So as Paul said, um, thank you for not just allowing me to, to share the word with you and to share the text with you, but thank you for allowing me to share my life with you. And thank you in return for sharing your life with me. Thank you guys so much for the past couple of years.